Before we get into the episode, I want to tell you about another filmmaking podcast called Just Shoot It. It's hosted by two incredibly knowledgeable, charismatic, just magnetic directors that I can only aspire to emulate one day. It's not a lie to say that most of what I personally know about directing is from Matt and Oren's podcast, Just Shoot It. And please ignore all other podcasts, especially Lot the Fuse, a deep dive on the intricacies of the Mission Impossible franchise, Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggles of independent film, or Respect the Process, a podcast about commercial directing hosted by a commercial director. Just Shoot It covers literally everything those podcasts cover, and then some. If you care about the craft and business of filmmaking, from how to sell projects to casting actors to designing the perfect shot list, Just Shoot It covers it all. So stop listening to this podcast right now, type in Just Shoot It into your podcast app, and get ready to have your filmmaking mind blown. guys, welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggles of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Liz Anderson. And I'm Arc Purcell. And this week we're super excited to welcome writer-director Rob Smat to the show. Uh, Rob has a new feature that's coming out on, is it June 28th? I think so, right Rob? That is correct. Sweet! Nice. So he has a new feature that's coming out on June 28th, um, starring Friday Night Lights' Brad Leland, and it's about high school football coach who uh, pushes one of his players into exhaustion, causing him to die on the spot, which sounds super heavy. Uh. <laughs> and, and I will say, like, this is probably going to come out on Monday uh, after the 28th on J- July 1st. So just so people know, like, they can go watch it right now, which is really cool. Sweet. So, uh, so yeah, Rob. And is that online or is that in theaters? Where, where, where can I find this? It'll be in theaters and online at the same Sweet. time. A little old day and date release, as they call it. Oh, wow. Awesome. Awesome. What theaters are you playing, or how many theaters? Uh, ten theaters. Uh, L.A., New York. Well, L.A. is Riverside. Uh, but L.A., New York. Uh, Dallas is going to be another big one. Kansas City, Minneapolis, Chicago, Tampa, Miami, Seattle. And... I'm, I'm waiting, waiting for San. I'm waiting for San Francisco. Do we get one? No, because there's no sports ball. <laughs> what? We have so much sports ball here. Everybody watches it. No, no, yeah. it's 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 one of those things where it's it's a marketing thing, and so they didn't uh, okay. want to overextend themselves by you know going and getting some fancy schmancy theater. Um, they right. send it to Santa Clara, where our football team has gone to. We're we're hoping that that football sports ball fans everywhere will find this uh despite it not being in theaters in most places well well, i will say our we have a high school a famous high school uh, football team in the bay area de la salle i don't know if you've heard of them oh i've heard uh, of them yeah so kind of doesn't make sense you miss this market just because of those guys (laughs) but you know i i I get it too um yeah but i have many questions about what we just talked about with this this theatrical release but before we get into all that stuff rob can you just give us your quick one minute bio of who you are and, and what you do sure so uh i have just been making movies ever since i was little it's something that that i've always done it's something that i've always enjoyed um and, you know, as I grew up, it you know, I, I was uh, born in the early 90s. And so by the time I was, you know, 10, that's kind of when the little uh, digital camcorder started to come out. 
And so I would just continue to play with those. And every two years, I'd ask for a different one for Christmas. And, you know, it was always the cheapest, most breakable thing you could find for the most part. But but uh, but Santa Claus was was always nice and always gave me something I that I could learn more with, you know, whether that was more memory to it or a longer battery life. It's, you know, I was really limited by my, um, uh, you know, hardware in, in, a, in a certain sense. And, uh, you know, always just was a learn by doing sort of kid, just, you know, filmed whatever I could, whenever I could. Our Wi-Fi was terrible, so I didn't even have YouTube to watch all day. I would I would watch my own stuff and make my own stuff all day. Uh, and that's probably for the best, because if I had been watching YouTube all day, I would have had a very different uh, filmic style after years of that, probably. Um, but grew up in Fort Worth, Texas, where we filmed The Last Whistle. Uh, played uh, middle school and high school football on the uh, All Saints championship team. Um, definitely, you know, all, everybody I played with on, on that team is now, you know, Division One NCAA or uh, one of the guys just started with the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, shout out to Meech. Um, so, you know, really the worst football player on the team by far. Um, not because I myself was bad, but because everyone else there were, were uh, prodigies, uh, sport prodigies for sure. Uh, so, but I, yeah, so I did the football thing and, and, uh, stand championship ring, all that, you know, Friday night lights, fun stuff, never really watching the show because, you know, I lived it more so than, than, you know, watching it. Um, and then went to USC film school, uh, you know, which they all say is the Harvard of film schools. I thought it was, you know, the, the, the real estate was certainly pretty nice, but, uh, you know, I think every film school is, is, is good in its own way. Um, it's all about what you put into it based on what the, what the school is, but, but enjoyed USC for sure. And, uh, and the, the cool part about USC for me was when I was working my way up with those little cameras, you know, kind of the beginning and, and the bookends to my bio. Um, I wrote a letter to George Lucas at probably age 10, age 11. And, uh, you know, either he or his secretary was nice enough to send me, you know, their, their formatted reply, just saying, thank you. You know, we, we appreciate you being a fan. Thank you for watching Star Wars. Um, and uh, here, here's a photo of George and Django Fett, which which I still have in my wall. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> and and then there was a little piece where it was just like, if you want to, if you want to go into film, if you want to be like George, if you want to, I don't remember, be like George, be like me, whichever it was, they said, go to film school, you know, ch check it out. And so that was the first time I'd ever thought about that. And, uh, and so now I'll be, you know, just this past Thursday, we premiered The Last Whistle at the, in the George Lucas building of the USC School of Cinema. So very full circle there. Wow. Awesome. Lovely. Well, that was more than a minute, but I'll forgive that. Um, <laughs> it was a good one, though. Not all bios good. are good. That, you know. That's true. <laughs> it was worth the time it took. So we have this wonderful outline here um, with questions in order, but since you just mentioned your theatrical distribution, I'm, I'm just curious, like, how did that come about? Was that something that the distrib distributor wanted to do, or was that something that you asked for them to do for the film? Or, or how, I mean, because, you know, theatricals are, are kind of not really the thing that, that every filmmaker gets these days. Sure. So, so, so we're doing what's called a day and date release, which, uh, you know, for the, for the listeners, whether they, they know or not, I'll, you know, try to give it a brief overview. It's, it's where you debut the film in the minimum number of theaters for it to be considered a theatrical release, uh, which is a little less glamorous than, than just saying a theatrical release, but it's important that especially, you know, the audience here knows the difference because, um, it, it can be thought of as, as uh, a marketing approach more so than, you know, let's, let's get this, let's do it the old fashioned way. Let's put it in theaters, all these things. 
Um, but not to say that we're not excited about having it in theaters. We are definitely trying to push people to go see it in theaters and trying to push theaters to, you know, uh, put us all over the place and give us some good uh, screenings and everything. Uh, it's It was something that came up actually after we had signed the distribution deal, um, which was kind of funny because we, you know, I got an email. I remember I was in the uh, Madison, Wisconsin airport, uh, which is one of the smallest airports ever. I mean, but super relaxing. You can, you can, you can literally you can walk around with a beer between the different terminals. You can you can you're allowed to day drink at the Madison Airport. It's awesome. So, you know, I'm sitting there, uh, you know, six beers in. No, I'm just joking. Um, and I get this email from our distributor, kind of saying, "Hey, listen, we're 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 tossing around the idea of doing a theatrical release. Let us know what you think." And and so it's kind of this cool thing where it was sort of after the fact. We were just going to be a VOD release, and then I think they started to see the movie, and they kind of started to, you know, I'm, I'm just spitballing here, but it's, at a certain point, they might have said, hey, maybe this is worth taking a shot on. It's, you know, we're surprised. It's actually good, you know, kind of kind of echoing what, what you said before we started, Liz, where it's like, oh, it's it's a sports movie, but it, it looks half decent. And uh, that's been our that's been one of our struggles this whole time is, you know, we're we're not we're not just trying to make it schlocky here. We're trying to do a good job at the same time. Awesome. And so, hearing about like your your childhood adventure into meeting George Lucas tangentially from a probably not written by him letter, like I I love hearing about people's journeys to what got them here, specifically about like that childhood self, and then the journey to the first feature. And my understanding, this is your first. Feature, yeah. Uh, technically, I, I I did make a feature length uh, film when I was in high school. Uh, okay. It was sort of like a mockumentary. So I I'm just telling everybody, yeah, this is this is this is the first real one for sure. Your first and a half. Feature. Yeah, first and a half. Awesome. Okay. So um, can you just talk a little bit about like um, it it seems like you've made several shorts that have sports themes to them and maybe that was just like bad stalking internet stalking on my part but it looked like there were several sports related shorts that you directed already so sort of the journey uh you know from 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 wherever you were inspired to how you got here sure i i mean i i think that something that uh i mean i wherever i go i've always got a camera and it's it's you know so it's so often on my phone now that, that it's not really a huge difference it's not that doesn't make a big difference you know everyone's got a, a camera now but but especially in the era when everyone didn't have a video camera on their phone I usually had one wherever I went because if I was gonna you know if I was if I had to go watch one of my three little brothers play soccer uh you know I, I was gonna bring a camera or I would have died from boredom um that's the international <laughs> football of course um so and and that turned into sort of this miniature career of making like highlight films for uh, for people and and editing like end of year highlight reels for like a sixth grade pee wee football team. You know that was I, I must have done you know uh, fifteen twenty of those over over a few years. And um, so so while I was doing all sorts of of videos and things, yeah, the the you know sports really just because it's so prevalent especially in in Texas you know everyone everyone's playing sports everyone in high school too is playing sports because it's you know the next uh scholarship opportunity it's it's something like that and so it was it was uh you know all the sports stuff that I did was almost just because it was there to do and because I wanted to film something I didn't care what it was um rather than something where it's like oh I was always meant to make a sports movie so you know it's about time I did 
That's not it at all. <laughs> cool. So, so it's happenstance rather than like a meditation on a theme. Well, you know, when it comes to the theme, I, I think that there, I definitely meditated on themes with The Last Whistle, with anything that I try to do. But definitely when it comes to starting off with a football movie, um, it was it was honestly, you know, it was spurned by the fact that I wanted to do something that I knew people, I, I knew there would be a thousand people in Texas that would watch this. And if that was the case, then hopefully there'd be a thousand people in a couple other states that would watch it too. So, like... You know, you said you said you start with the idea of wanting to make a football movie, but why? Like, where did the story come from? Was it something that you had dealt with at all, um, based on your experience in uh, playing football, or was it something that just kind of came to you? Like, where did this this pretty dramatic, you know, storyline originate? So it, it partially came from from my experience. Uh, you know, uh, not so not with my coaches in high school so much as sort of the surrounding schools. Uh, I, I had an excellent coaching staff. They were they were on the top of their game. They you know they formed me into the person that I am today for sure, and, and I'm and I'm proud of that. Um, but at some of the surrounding schools, you'd have you know coaching staffs that maybe they were also excellent, but they didn't have the the medical resources we had. They didn't have the the training we had, and so you know in the news, I'd, I'd wake up and I'd I'd go look at our our box score in the newspaper, and and uh, further down the page, it would there would be a story about you know somebody you know collapsing during a football practice, collapsing during a basketball practice, uh, collapsing while jogging, something like that. Um, always in the same format, always with, you know, no information on how it happened and that sort of thing. And so that stuck with me for years and years. And I, I don't think I ever thought I would make a movie about it. Um, and then along were came, they, were these deaths or were they just people like passing out from exhaustion? No, no most of, I mean, if it made the newspaper, it's cause it was a death. Was Holy that like the shit. early 2000s? I feel like I remember a rash of it happening in the early 2000s based on, um, Oh, some some drug they took off the market that was being used a lot by high school. Athletes. That's probably that's probably true. I'm I I uh, I don't know the the stats for that. Uh, the the conditions that we work with in this movie are pretty consistent. They affect a very consistent a number of the population, and I think it's every three days it happens somewhere in the country. Wow, that's insane. Um, and and there was a big one last year because it was at a it was at a, a university. And the parents threatened the uh, the coach with uh, legal action, which was the first time that had happened. Um, and this was this was long after we had finished filming the movie, so it had nothing to do with us. But but it's it, it's sort of this sort of thing where again it it the story repeats itself frequently, and and I and I just I just saw that happening over and over again, and and said you know what I I this is this is you know if this were a documentary this is our hook you know this is this is something that makes us different than you know, facing the giants or, you know, it's, it's sort of a, we are Marshall sort of thing. Um, and that's, that, that was the goal was let's, let's be the same, but let's be different at the same time. Uh, so, so, and all this came about because I was at an editing, uh, workshop put on by the MPI, uh, and, and Smock Media. And somebody approached me and they go, Hey, have you heard about this rebel, rebel without a crew, uh, series? And it was the series they did on El Rey last year. They got five filmmakers, Project Greenlight style, um, you know, gave them all cameras and seven thousand dollars worth of equipment, and had them go make a feature. And and so I was part of the application process for this show, and they ended up rejecting me. But but this the application for this show is where I originally thought about 
all right, what resources do I have to make something that's that's totally zero budget? What you know, what what are the avenues here? Oh wow! And and at the same time, I had had a project totally fizzle out. Um, I had a project that you know we had attached you know a single investor. We had a you know we it was a um, it was it was a Catholic church movie, uh, which you know again not really doesn't sound similar to anything. Very very original. Um, and I don't say that to, to toot my own horn. I say that in the sense where it's like you, you, you need some, some uh, based on when it comes to pitching a movie. You know, you, you need something that people are familiar with. Otherwise, they have nothing to latch on to. And, and that was a major, major drawback with that project. And so with this one, I said, okay, you know what? I know everybody loves Friday Night Lights. I know we do this for super low budget. Um, if, I can, if I can write it, you know, good enough, if I can write it to the point where I can produce it, then we, you know we we might have something pretty cool here, and so whenever the the show turned it down, I had I had the hook, I had the the prompt, and and I had the uh, um, the the openness to go and do it because that former project had had totally uh, fizzled out. So you're in this position right where you've got this project, you got rejected from the show. Like, what is your first step? Like, did you already have the script written at this point that you had to turn in for the show, or like? so were you like ready or did you have to go write the script? Like what was your next step as soon as like you get that rejection letter? I, I did a zero draft of the script for the show. It was one of those drafts where you just write it in a week, you know, and it's, it's painful and it really just, you know, it really doesn't feel good for most of it, but um, definitely, you know, it definitely gives you at least 15, 20% of whatever that final script is going to look like some, sometimes more. And so I think my next step was I said, let's, let's revisit the script. Let's pretend I've got, you know, $50,000 instead of seven. And let's see what I would do if, if I wasn't having to work with pennies, if, if, if I had a little bit of money to, to, to throw around. And so I think that first script was, was the next step. And at the same time, what I like to do at this point is, is I, I sort of I sort of soft pitch it to people. I, I talk to my friends, I talk to my family, and I go, here's the idea for the movie, here's what happens, here are the characters, what do you think? And um, and if they say, you know, oh, you know, if, if there's that oh, interesting moment, then then I know that that if I can execute it, uh, there's there's something worth doing there. If if I pitch it and they go, <laughs> and that's it. Uh, that's, that's where I tend to go, ah, this is, this, this felt like a good idea, but it's not. So, so it's really sort of a pull the audience situation. So, so I did both of those things for that time. So I got a question for you. You seem like, I don't know, uh, very, very methodical in your approach to things, which I think is great. I just got out of a workshop with Nicole Perlman talking about writing and I feel like everybody is always. I don't know, struggling with, with the thing that you mentioned, which is that vomit draft, that zero draft. Um, and you said you cranked it out in a week. That That's, I don't know, from, from most people, at least in that conversation earlier today, that's really difficult. Do you have any advice um, or strategy that you use for getting through that, that week um, and really holding yourself to that deadline? I, I think I think outlining is super important, as, as any writer will know. Um, I, I used to I used to write without outlining. I used to just write and just feel it. You know, I'd get thirty pages into a script and and not know where to go next. And and I did that enough times that I was sick of it. 
and and I didn't want to waste my time anymore. I wanted to, like you said, be methodical. I wanted to use my time as as you know as best I could. Um, you know, I only got one life. I want to make the most of every minute of it. Um, and so that was that was one part of it that was super helpful. Was was I was I knew you know I've got my I got the story structure. I've got you know whether it's save the cat or the eight sequences. Like I I, I know you know, the, the, the broad strokes. And so I can, I can get to the end and then go back and fill in holes and without, you know, the whole thing collapsing, which is, which is important when there's a vomit draft. Mm -hmm. Um, but the other, the other half of, is it, the other half of it is, uh, I, I want it really, 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 really badly. I wanted to be on that show really, 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 really badly. Uh, when I was playing football, I would line up against guys that were, again, the guys headed to the NFL that were hundred pounds heavier than me and, and twice my size. And, and I was expected to keep them from, you know, killing our quarterback. And, and the only way I could do that is if I wanted to stop them more than they wanted to, to blow through me. And if we both wanted it the same, I would lose. So it was, <laughs> you know, I, it, you know, but, but in this situation, there's no, there's no one has weight. No one has, uh, you know, that there won't be any, uh, collision and and so we all have the same you know we're all 200 pounds we're all the same weight uh in terms of our writing abilities uh more or less and so knowing that i know that at the end of the day if 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 i can just want it enough uh and and just be willing to go not the extra mile but the extra mile after the last mile like it's just that's that's what it takes for for especially for a vomit draft like that when it really doesn't feel good and how do you combat your desire for, I won't even say perfection because with a zero draft, I mean, you're definitely not getting that, but your desire for not terribleness, maybe. Well, it's, I mean, I, I like to compare it to, to roulette uh, for, you know, if we got any uh, folks with, with uh, a gambling problem out there. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I think that so much, especially in the film industry, can be compared to the roulette table. I think that when you write for perfection, you're putting a chip down on, you know, number one through 36 because you want, you know, you want to put a dollar down, have the ball land in your, in your number and have them hand you $36. Um, whereas when I write, you know, I, I almost, I almost just put it on a color. I, I, I say, you know what? If, if I put down $1 on black, it ends up on black. I walk away with $2. That's, you know, that's, I would rather walk away with a $1 profit than, than lose, you know, lose it all trying to go for perfection. Um, and so I, I guess my, what I'm trying to say was I really wanted to write not the best movie ever, not the worst movie ever. I wanted to write a movie that was super, super medium. And if we pulled off everything right, if our actors came to play, if our DP was on, on his game, et cetera, et cetera, could be, could be considered good. Nice. I like that approach. So per perfectionism can so much be an enemy, so much be an enemy to a to a vomit draft. Absolutely. Nice. So um, my big question, as someone who's who's making his own movie, um, you know, com coming up pretty soon, r roughly around your budget, uh, how did you approach fundraising? Like, what was your 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 first step? Like, once you had the draft done and you're ready to share it with people. How did you go out and, and start raising the money you needed? 
that's that is uh, that that that's sort of the the most common question, isn't it? It's it's really what what we all struggle with as indie filmmakers and indie producers, especially. Um, and did you, you produced it yourself as well? Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not credited as a, as a producer. I, I I didn't I didn't want people to come away from the movie and say, oh, he's an okay director, but he's a great producer. Um, <laughs> so, but I but I did a lot of producing on it uh, for sure. Uh, but Mike and Max and Thomas were fantastic. They they really did. You know, they're they're not just taking over. You know, my credit here. They they did great work along with me. Awesome. Um, good to have a team. Did good to have a team. Yeah, very very much rebel with a crew, not rebel without a crew. Um, Important. Not not that I'm a rebel, but just just the, the, the crew part. <laughs> you crew sound very part. much right, not right. like a rebel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would call it a, a 25 year old uh, dad or uh 25 year old in, in a in a in a dad mind set very measured uh, right. very, very measured <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um so so i i think that 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 sort of measure that thoughtfulness is is very important when it comes to investors um i i think that a a really funny um conflict i see in in whether it's film students or uh or or recent grads or or just anybody really that's pitching investors is you know, film school and, and, you know, podcasts and, and nofilmschool.com and, and all the, all these outlets, you know, we do such a great job of putting together, this is a reels, putting together the lookbooks, you know, putting together the, the pitch packages. And those are perfect for uh, production companies. Um, and, you know, production companies love that sort of thing because uh, just like any kid, uh, producers love picture books, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's easy. It's, it's, uh, it, it's, it, it, it's really a good way to get your, to get your point across. But the hard part about production companies is, and this is something that, that, you know, I, I knew pretty early on, but really, you know, uh, put fact to, to what I, to my hypothesis early on is they, they really, they really need that prior work. They, you know, production companies have so many filmmakers that they can, you know, take pitches from it at any moment, and they have a wealth of opportunities to to invest in work. And most of them are not out to produce a slate. They're here to make one movie a year at at most sometimes, and and that's just the the reality of it. And and that's why it's so good. There are so many production companies is because of that. But having that be the case, we we realized pretty early on that we were going to have more success with independent financiers, with with people that might be outside the film industry, with people that were looking to get into the film industry. And the great thing about the $100,000 budget range is um, you can really do a piecemeal, uh, piecemeal approach with it. Um, the hard part is with independent financiers that they don't care about your lookbook. They don't care so much about your sizzle reel besides the fact that, you know, oh, it's, it's, it's glitzy and glamorous. Uh, they, they really want to see the numbers. And so that was my challenge is, you know, in this world where the Sundance Creative Institute only has so many case studies available at this point and, you know, uh, Box Office Mojo can be helpful, but there's no Box Office Mojo for iTunes. You know, how do you find numbers and, and you know, records and things like that for uh, films that have come before you, for films that are in your range? And so that was the challenge for me was how do I put together a pitch package for a uh, pecuni pecuniary financier, pecuniary focused financier 
that will um, that will show them the the why we're not going to go and lose all their money. Um, and, and then I think I think I'll add on top of that too, and this is something that I think I, I hear a lot about it, and you hear a lot about as you know, Liz, from uh, the the labs, and it's all about the importance of crowdfunding. Um, oh yes, and and crowdfunding is awesome. I definitely I, I I did it on a much much smaller short film that I did. Um, but, but I think what I learned about crowdfunding is after you, you know, you put up that Kickstarter and you put, uh, you know, you write 2000 words and you, you know, you're going to have to factor in time for packing discs for people and, and things like that. Um, it can be very time consuming and you could, you might actually have more success and be able to find more financing if you apply that time to say 15 cold calls, you know, yeah, or, it's or, a full-time job to run a Kickstarter. It is. Yeah. Wait. So, but how did you find your investors? Were they, did you cold call people and get them to, to take meetings with you? Or was it from people that you had other relationships with? Or like, how did you find these people that you pitched who weren't production companies or like traditional big budget investors? It, it all came down to sort of one to two degrees of separation. If I could, if I could find someone who, um, you know, knew who happened to be at my, you know, high school salutatorian speech, you know, or happened to have read, you know, some article that that I had been in years ago, or 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 had a mutual friend that that would give me a good recommendation, or any of our other producers, of course. Uh, it it all kind of started there. Uh, there were a couple folks that I knew who who helped us out a little, uh, and then but but our first financier really they they didn't know me. They they sort of knew of me, and that was that was the realm that we worked the best in, um, because because cold calling people really not that effective. Um, but <laughs> right. I I think that so much of of working with with investors that I enjoy is I I want to know why why they're picking up the phone because because if they're you know with with a cold email if they don't reply they don't reply but but if some you know if someone's willing to sit down with you and at least talk about it they're open to to something and whether that's making money or whether that's being a part of a movie or whether it's a combination of those two and 10 other things on top of that there's a service that you're you can provide them um in giving them uh, you know in, in bringing them into your film and if you can figure out what that is, uh, that's that's how you form relationships that make not only one film but two films, three films, four films. And you know, maybe you know, if if all the investors love me after after this film, maybe I'll never have to pitch a production company. Maybe they'll just keep you know dumping money on me. But but I'm not going and expecting that by any means. But that's that's my goal. That's my goal. You know, is at least leave everyone so happy with how things went and feeling like th their needs were met. Yeah. So how many investors did you end up bringing in on this particular project? Uh, I think it's nine. I think, I think we ended up with eight or nine. And is that your, your, all your funding came specifically from private investment? It did. We, we, had, we, we did end up with a couple production companies that were orbiting. Um, we, we, I, I shot down most of the recommendations for crowdfunding just because, again, it wasn't worth the time with, with the time that we had. Sure. Um, and and yeah, in the end, it was it was all uh, private investors. And then I mean, nice. I've dealt I've dealt with that whole deal as well. And I don't know. It's it's always a I I don't know. I always feel 
a duty to be very transparent about like, well, most independent films, you know, it's it's not necessarily going to be big on the ROI or at all. Um, you know, so you need to be getting into this for other reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it sounds like you have a strategy in order to, to be serving both sides of that. Like, I'm always approaching people with the idea of like, you know how you might put a a painting on loan to a museum it's sort of like that when you invest in an indie film uh you're putting your name on on a thing uh that's that's gonna be art for the public and you get to take credit for making that happen but it sounds like sounds like you had a mixture and you have a strategy for for bringing in ROA so I'm, I'm curious about hearing a little bit more about that as well yeah uh and 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 really I think uh that's it's the I, I, I love the the metaphors that you have about the about that and and I think that with with the last whistle I, I had seen that happen uh, so frequently with with you know either projects that I had worked on or or not you know been a central creative on you know I had seen uh, lots and lots of features between 50 and 250k um, show up in the marketplace, and if if everything went perfectly, they would you know make it right back to where they started at you know at mm-hmm. you know a hundred you know percent return. Yeah, even if, even movies like you know the the magical under three million dollar that gets sold at Sundance or whatever. I mean, they're just for the most part recouping their their investment, but mm-hmm. not getting. And and that's that. why I mean the Sundance Creative Institute was just I mean the, their their case study and I think it's uh, Columbus I mean was just fascinating to read and and to follow the Thunder Road team as they've gone through their their process has been incredibly educational um, and and they've been nice enough to share notes with me on 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 certain things um, and so I think I think I saw that that there is a there is a maximum amount of money that you should make a film for for sure. And it depends on what your subject matter is. It depends on the size of your audience. Um, but overall, my, you know, my sell to our investors was this, this, if this movie, I guess my sell to our investors was this movie has the best chance of making a return on investment of, of anything I can think of, um, we we are going to target Friday Night Lights, which you know Imagine Entertainment is thinking of remaking again. You know they're they're not going to go do that if if they think that people are soft on it. No, so I mean, there's, it, was, you know, it was huge when it was happening, and of course, yeah. and and so it's like okay, there's an audience here. Um, they are they are hungry for it. If we can if we can do everything right, we can do this for a budget that is you know still a hundred k for a football movie is is. Uh, unheard of except for facing the giants um now to be fair facing the giants was i think 2006 or 2007 um they were you know uh, in in the high uh the high times of dvd and and you know christian films like passion of the christ just doing gangbusters in theaters and so things have changed a lot since then and i was hesitant to use that as, as a comparison because it's it's not the same thing as what we're doing um, but it, I, I would, I would say that we're, we're one of, you know, five football movies that was made in this budget range, uh, ever. Um, and I've studied the other three and even the other three were not critically successful, but still appeared to make their money back and, and probably spend at least twice as much, if not more as what we did. 
So knowing that, I went in with those comparisons and and just you know numbers, and I said, you know, to our investors, I said, I I want to disrupt as much as we can. I I, I want to totally reverse engineer this process, um, and really strike at the heart of what does succeed in video on demand stuff, and um, and just just try to try to strike oil here. Nice. So. Um... So let's see. Uh, back to the whole, the whole. But, so I guess. So, the whole concerns about making your your money back on uh, on a film, like, like what did you what like what can you share any specifics basically like what did you take away like if you're gonna spend a hundred thousand dollars on a, on a movie, like what did you learn that you could respectfully imagine to get back. Like, was it just your budget or is it like double or like, you know, a percentage? So, okay. So what, what I've, what I've found and, and the, the, the general numbers that I think if I, if I try to think of everything I've researched, if I already gave you a very average $100,000 movie or even two, you know what, I'll give you an average $200,000 movie. And I think what I've found is the average, you know, very well done Nothing crazy special, no no crazy awards, uh, but just very well done. Two hundred thousand dollar movie um, will make back probably a hundred to one hundred twenty five thousand in ROI in the in the first you know uh, two years, three years. Um, and and I had gotten this from so many different sources and just a lot of math wow. and trying to fill in the blanks and things like that. Um, and, and, you know, with, with gratitude to, to all the filmmakers that, that would get on the phone and talk with me about their journeys too. Um, but I think, I think what I kind of realized was everyone's spending twice as much as they should on these movies. And so that was sort of the first step in saying, let's, let's do this one for a hundred thousand instead of 200, uh, thousand. Um, on top of that, uh, what I've kind of found is that, you know, all the, the VOD channels will bring in anywhere from, you know, 30,000 to $60,000 in the, in the first, you know, month or two, which is sort of the, the prime time, uh, for, for those avenues. If you have something that's big, it can get up to a hundred thousand, 200,000 on VOD. Um, but, but if you're sort of the average, the average I think has got to be around 50,000 for, uh, for VOD. And is this like with films with no stars or, or stars kind of comparable to the, the Bradley lens of the world? Comparable to, to, to the Brads, for sure. Um, okay. You know, definitely recognizable faces. Everyone knows their face. Not everyone knows their name. And, right, um, but, right. but I would say, too, that Brad, I would almost consider to be as good as an A-list for us because our audience is so Friday Night Lights heavy. That oh, yeah. to them, he almost is a Brad Pitt. He he's definitely a Brad, um, but, but it's it's been <laughs> right. massive to to so narrowly target our audience like that has been has yeah. been super super helpful and and something that we wanted from the beginning and you don't always get it and, and I'm and I'm thrilled that Brad and Les and Jim and everyone that came onto this project did because that was hugely helpful. Um, but yeah, that's what I'd say is sort of these, the, the, these, these range movies where, you know, if with an extra 50 K you could go get, you know, the, you could go get someone who's played a Superman at some point, you know, you could go get, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, that's a, that's a very, uh, yeah, very clear. 
reference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... But 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 they don't, you know. They 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 keep it smaller than that. And and I think that given the choice, I I wouldn't blow fifty uh, k on on that sort of thing because it's while it helps you sell it, it helps with festivals, possibly things like that. I I don't think that it that it gives you. I'm not sure if that brings you back the money that you spend on it. Um, if that makes sense. Uh, so so right. basically, it's it's always around fifty k for VOD. It's always around if, if you can get people, if there is a theatrical, if you can get people to theaters after the theaters take their cut, probably close to 20K for theatrical. And then you talk about online DVD, you talk about uh, things like that. I, Air, airlines is one as well. That can bring in anywhere from 10 to 20,000. Um, and then you talk about streaming, and streaming deals go from fifteen thousand to about thirty thousand. And then after well, you haven't that, even it's... talked about international yet. Isn't international like the big one where you can get a bunch of uh, different sales to different countries? It, it it's certainly possible. Um, but I guess not for your movie as much, right? Because it's such an American movie. Like I mean, I don't think people really care much about American football in uh you know India, let's say, or Germany even. You know, right. And, and, and I don't, so I'm, I'm not sure you know, it, it's true. I mean, it, and, but, but it's funny you say that because I've even had a couple conversations lately with, um, with some filmmakers whose domestic cume wasn't perfect. You know, it, it fell short and they, and that's kind of what they say is they go, Oh, but we're waiting on international. And, and so I, you know, I hear that almost enough that I start to worry that, the distributor just says that to keep you off their back when you know they're they're making they're making their money and you're not, and so <laughs> yeah, I would I would be <laughs> I, I would not put all my eggs in the international basket and and that's honestly one of the multiple reasons we're doing this this movie and and doing it this way is when we go for a movie that is twice this cost or three times this cost I. I I want to know if if thing how things turned out. I you know I want to see the numbers. I want to see the expenses, and and I want to have the uh, playbook to work from for the next time around. Um, but but you're right that international can be very lucrative. International usually relies on stars. They they even more heavily than domestic does, and right. so uh, that's that's again where I, I'm not sure how we're going to do. But the markets themselves are fairly slow uh, as as we speak. Yeah. Um, it's also like really genre uh, reliant too for um, you know international like action movies do really yeah. well internationally because it doesn't really matter you know yeah. it's action like they, they 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 like it you know but like comedies don't do so well because they're mm -hmm. they're usually culturally specific you know and and that's um, why that's why I mean genre is such a huge part when it goes into what what's your your debut feature going to be what's your you know first drop in the bucket going to be. And if and if you're going to try to do a comedy, you have to make sure that I I would assume it's America, but whatever country is is the target of the comedy, that you make it as you know like targeted to that audience as possible. Um, and uh, uh, otherwise, right. you know, it's again it won't do international, and it definitely won't do domestic. So. I have a quick question about distribution just because the way that you're talking, it kind of sounds like you are self-distributing this movie with all the numbers and all the details and all the sort of in-depth like research you did. Mm -hmm. um, why did you go with vertical entertainment when you kind of have all the knowledge to do it yourself? 
Well, you know, having the knowledge is one thing. Having the the time and the energy is is something else. Um, and and I think this kind of you know this is almost the the next question in the outline, which is you know what's the biggest challenge in getting a film off the ground? And uh, one of the biggest you know challenges for us was I mean, the money was difficult, and and it was it, but it was not um, the biggest biggest challenge. We we you know had a process for the money. And we were able to to use very honest, you know, uh, visible ways to to find all of the people that we found for it, and and, and I enjoyed that uh, partially. Um, the hardest part was the legitimacy. It was people saying, "Oh, well, what have you done before? Oh, well, your script is good, but who's in it? You know, um, things like that." And oh, you're making a real movie, you know, <laughs> and I, you know, hearing that all the time, and it's and it's just like. Yes, we, we've been, you know, it's what we've been saying this whole time, but, but in case you need to hear it again, we're making a real movie. That's, that's correct. Um, but it doesn't look like we're making a real movie because we're, you know, we're, we're, we were working with skeleton crews. We were keeping it small. We, you know, we, what was being captured in the camera was all we had to work with for a lot of it. And so, you know, you don't have these massive lights and these massive things. And so legit, legitimacy both before, during, and after production can be tough. And I, I thought that we would have a much better chance at, at success uh, going with a traditional distributor, especially when it came to the international, when it came to um, things like that. And then also having the knowledge is one thing, but having the time and the energy and, and the finances to do it is, is something else. And so, um, but, but I, but I will say too, that, that our distributor, uh, you know, they, they get really good placement. They, um, they do have good relationships with with everybody. They're they're a newer distributor. They don't have you know any uh, red flags uh, that have happened to them yet. And so, um, it it had a lot to do with what I knew I was pot capable of doing, and sort of just just saying for once, let's not take the safe bet and let's you know cash in all the safe bets that we've taken and and see where all these you know all these safe bets together. Let's see where it takes us. Um, instead of just doing so, the same thing. So did you sign with them before you shot the movie? So, and, and I, this is actually a great question. It's something that, that we've been, uh, that, I, that I've been asked about a couple times. And I think, no, we, we didn't. Um, but we had a relationship with them before we shot the movie. And that was, that was everything when it came down okay. to them finding us. So you basically, did you, did, had you pitched the movie to them before you shot it as like trying to get them on as an investor or something? Not so much as an investor. I I heard this on I think it was the I think it was on Alex Ferrari's podcast. He he had this idea. It must have been like one of his first episodes. He was like, you know what you should do? You should just go to distributors and talk to them and and see what they what they'll buy, you know, or, or something like that. And and it you know in in theory it's it's a good idea, but in in practice you know distributors aren't sitting by the phone waiting for filmmakers to you know cold call them and you know <laughs> right. <laughs> but but a couple of them would chat with me and 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 this one was um, there there were some people that were loosely involved who who would pick up the phone who were in distribution who would say you know they would almost do a five minute consultation they would say. Okay, you're going and doing, uh, you know, you're, you're you're doing a drama slash football movie. It sounds like you don't have enough money to do a football movie, which is why you're doing a drama, uh, you know, or, or X, Y, and Z. So get as much football as you can, you know. Get do this, do that. Get you know, make sure you've got good images for key art. Make sure you're, you know, they basically it was a talk about marketing. It was it was a talk uh. about here's here's how we're gonna sell it, and and that was exactly what I needed to hear because so so many times, uh, you know, 
uh, filmmakers forget about post post production, which is all of the the sales and and the marketing and uh, but but I think that is also the modern distribution landscape is especially if if you're not just going to take you know if, if you get an MG which is you know sort of the first money up front you sometimes it'll be all you see if you don't take the MG and run then this is uh, this is part of it you, you you know me and my team we're we're doing our best to complement everything that the distributors are doing um in in the you know with the limited budget that we have left um and so that's that's involved a, a very self distribution uh esque uh, approach but, <laughs> right. but no we 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 are we are fully distributed and the distributor has been handling the things that that I would that I knew I had no like I I know how to market I know how to um you know do publicity and things like that I do not know how to master DCP I I know how to edit a movie I do not know how to a codec uh put down a, you know create the correct <laughs> right. specs for for an itunes upload and uh so that was that was the the hesitancy to self-distribution so did you not do a film festival run when the film was done that was that was a tough choice we we had a cut of the movie we finished shooting uh honestly 13 months ago 13 months ago today almost we finished shooting uh june 3rd 2018 we had a first assembly by the end of June, within about 22 days, we had a first assembly, partially thanks to the quick work of the assistant editor, uh, Paulina. And then we had a festival cut probably a month, maybe two months later. Um, and oh, I wow. think that, you know, my whole thing here has been, my, my thesis was you can get distribution on a genre film like ours um, without having to play a big festival. And so I said, instead of waiting half a year, you know, instead of hibernating until Sundance or South by or uh, Slam Dance come around, I let's let's start planning this release now. You know, let's let's uh, start building the runway now, and you know, just knowing that the plane is going to land eventually. And so wow. we we went ahead and and chose to just try to be a, a medium fish in a small pond or a medium fish in a medium pond instead of being a small fish in a big pond. And so we premiered at the Lone Star Film Festival in Fort Worth in November. Oh, okay. Nice. And then from there, we played a couple more festivals in Texas and and only submitted to probably 10 or 15 festivals overall, made it into, I think, four or five, three or four, and just tried to make sure that wherever we were doing festivals, you know, all of that effort to, you know, get the DCP there and to potentially send cast for Q&As, was going to turn into a grassroots uh, audience base in that area. Wow, awesome! But but I will add a caveat there. The obviously the whole idea that you know festivals aren't worth your time. Totally, totally. I mean that's that's they were worth our time. I mean they they, they are worth the time for most filmmakers. But if you're doing a genre film like ours that's at its base supposed to be you know as commercial as possible, I I, I don't. That's not what film festivals are for. You know, film festivals are really to champion those those uh pieces that are going to go into the art museum you know they're there to 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 really you know let the let the uh sommeliers taste the fine wine um that you won't get whenever it's hanging in that museum and people are taking pictures of it with their iphone you know it's that's what the festivals are for and so i i knew going in i i wasn't i wasn't gonna pretend that we were you know some fine work of art we're we're a football movie we're you know it's it's uh, it, it's it's not what festivals really want to program right now, and and so 
we, we gave it our best shot, but I didn't want to waste time waiting for waiting for a no. And so our, our, our festival strategy was very, very targeted. Nice. Um, so in terms of production, I, I know you went back and you shot this in Texas. Um, and, you know, with such a tight budget, uh, did that limit your shooting days? Like what what did your schedule look like? Um, so so our, our shooting day, we, we shot for 13 days. Wow. Um, which amazing was fast. <laughs> That's yeah. I'm impressed. Um, the the key to that was, I, I think at the end of the day, our camera. Um, and what did you shoot on? The Canon C300 Mark II. Oh, really? Oh, wow, really? So not nice. a RED, not an Alexa, um, not an A7S. <laughs> uh, we, our, our DP, Brian Tang, awesome. I mean, just totally, totally brilliant. Awesome. And, and he and I had met in film school and, and he was, you know, I, I went to him right at the beginning of this project and I said, all right, here's the idea. What do you think? And, you know, his, his thing was, well, let's do, you know, you, you want it to kind of, you know, he's saying to me, you want it to be a Western. So let's do anamorphics. Let's do red. And, and I had worked with reds before and I had, you know, taken a red into anything that's hotter than 80 degrees outside and it, and it died. And, and I said, you know what, we're going to be in Texas. We're shooting, we're shooting football. And moreover, our audience will not know the difference between anamorphics and, and sphericals and red and Alexa and all this stuff because they're, you know, football fans. I mean, it's, it's, they, they want to see a movie. They want to see character. I don't think they're, they're going to know the difference with our cinematography. And so that's why we settled on the, the C300, even though the red wasn't that much more expensive to rent, even though it wasn't really a budgetary thing. It all had to do with how fast can we shoot? how long can the batteries go and how long will our, will our memory cards be open as long as we're still getting 4K footage with nice dynamic range, X, Y, and Z. Getting a little technical there. Wow. Oh, that's great. So what kind of cards did you guys have? Did you have the 256 gigabyte cards or 500 gigabyte cards? Like, how did you guys... What was the big benefit there? Because I just shot a project on a C300 Mark II mm-hmm. and, you know, those cards, if you shoot in 4K, they don't last so long, <laughs> you know? Of course, and, and yeah, I I think that we we probably had two two fifty six cards that we just kept uh, swapping out. Um, wow, and we I mean, a... it is longer than an Alexa Mini, though. I mean, Alexa Mini is like twenty minutes. Like, yeah, you probably right. had like what we, like an hour. Each yeah, we, card? we we had an hour to work with per card, and and yeah. and I I think the other part of it too is something that I focused on. Um, you, you know, you, you ask about the, you know, shooting in Texas, what was the biggest challenge? Or, I'm sorry, uh, I'm, I'm skipping ahead here, but what was the most challenging aspect of the shoot? Um, you know, 13 days is a challenge, uh, but part of the style of the film is baked into the budget, not so much that we said, let's make it look cheap, but in the sense where I said, let's, you know, again, I like this Western style because we can shoot on a tripod, we can lock it off, we don't have to deal with the steady cam, we don't have to deal with... You know, we, we can deal with a slider, but we don't have to deal with, um, you know, camera shake or anything like that. We're not going for the Peter Berg Friday Night Lights look. I want to do, like, Friday Night Lights meets the Old West meets, like, you know, Bogdanovich. Let's let's go totally, totally in a new direction. Um, and, and so what that did was it made it so that we weren't losing takes to camera operation. We weren't losing mm. takes to... Um, equipment malfunction to our DP getting tired having to carry around the steady or our AC getting tired having to carry around the steady cam. 
um, totally, totally reverse engineered it so that our, our best budgetary tool was our time and how quickly we, we made time work. So, so the biggest challenge for us was that I wanted to shoot 10 hour days. Um, I, I didn't, and, and that's like, that's pretty much including setup and takedown too. Um, wow. yeah, because, uh, because so much of our, so much of our help on this movie was either PAs from the TCU film program who were fantastic, you know, or they were, you know, uh, local, uh, DFW, uh, crew members who, you know, weren't, we, we were definitely paying, but we weren't paying a ton. And so I knew that we were going to get the best work if everybody felt like they were getting worked a very medium amount. Mm-hmm. And, and, and especially at the early, you know, I think our last day was our longest and it ran probably 12 and a half hours, whatever it says on the SAG sheet, that's what we did. Um, and, and that was because we <laughs> had to, we had to get all the, the football stuff. We were shooting football stuff until, you know, 1am that night. Um, but, but in terms of the other days, you know, I, I didn't want to pay overtime. I, I mean, I, I, not because I'm stingy, but because overtime is, is more work than, than a human should conduct in a day. And, so, so we, we took a half day on day seven and, and just, you know, whatever kept wow. everybody relaxed and cool was better than whatever would run everybody into the ground on day three and lose us something later on. And how many pages was your, was your script? Uh, 91, I think, maybe okay. 87. So, so okay. between. So it was on the shorter It wasn't super yes. long. Or so it was not a 110 page script, which, which would right. be impossible in, in 13 days. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I still think 90 pages in 13 days is, is laudable. Well, thanks. We, we, yeah. we, we didn't want it to be laudable. We wanted it to, to be unnoticeable. Wow. Because you've been going around <laughs> telling people, oh, you know, it, 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 it looks like it looks, but we did it in this many days. You know, <laughs> I, I didn't want that. I, I, wanted, I didn't want to have to you know, impress people with our production uh, stats <laughs> because sometimes that's, you know, sometimes you're trying to make up for something when you have to tell everybody that. Uh, but, but right. 13 days was, was truly, I, I think I wanted to do it in 12 and, uh, Mike, Max and Thomas talked me down from the ledge and they were like, well, no, you, you need an extra day. Let's do an extra day. <laughs> so I have one last production question cause we're, we're sort of getting short on time and I want a, a few more distribution questions, but, um, what was like a big lesson you learned as a director uh, in shooting your your for this feature? Um, the, like, what could you pass on to us other directors who are like going into our 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 first feature or a feature? Yeah, um, cast is everything. Actors are everything. Um, the more that you can let your actors play, the better. Um, being the writer director, you know, I, I'm sitting there, you know, almost wearing two hats. And, and there's that there's that dance that you play where where an actor goes off script or they want to change a line or something like that. And I, I think, you know, it, whatever it is, whether it's an actor or a crew or anything, if it's if it's an idea, just try to try to imagine it's the best idea in the world and either say yes or no. And and in the at the end of the day, when people would come to me with ideas with line changes, ninety percent of the time, I'd say, yeah, that's great, go for it. Um, so I think you as a director are not there to direct your movie. You're to facilitate all of these brilliant people that you've brought together to make a movie and to bring those people to their best, uh, their best selves. I like that. Wow. Nice, man. Well said. Thanks. 
So, Liz, uh, do you have a favorite uh, distribution question you want to ask, Rob? Hmm. So, are you able to, like, share a little bit of the breakdown of the waterfall with us, or is that confidential? Well, I, I think I can just say that it's very similar to a, a standard waterfall um, and w without, you know, divulging anything that's confidential. Um, the, the standard distribution contract is, you know, the, the distributor takes a, a cut off the top, they recoup expenses, they, um, they keep a little bit in, in a flush fund, they, uh, which, which all makes it to you eventually, and then they, they pay out the rest or, or you have a, you know, you get a little percentage at the beginning and then, and then more comes after that. You know, there, there, there's a lot of math that goes into it. Um, we, so that's sort of the standard deal. That's very similar to our deal. Um, a lot of our strategy is that, that we need to, you know, obviously uh, the, the film needs to overcome the distributor's expenses, um, which is which is an uphill battle for sure. Um, but we we did establish a an expense cap, which is crucial, um, and and which I would urge everyone to do um, because it it just makes it so that. Um, you know, while the person you're working with at the company it knows that you know you, you don't want them to to you know spend all spend all the money they can on the film. Someone else that's you know in a different department won't know that, and and they will. And and so that's that's the key with with doing a cap. Um, and uh, so those are the two pretty common pieces that we we definitely had some negotiations on. And. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's 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 a fairly simple deal. Again, there's we we really didn't have too many conversations about. Uh, I wanted to keep most of it focused on the the back end. I wanted to keep most of it focused on all right. When, whenever the distributor makes this much, then we make this much. How much? You know, trying to do the math on how many units do we need to sell to make sure that we're overcoming your expenses and you know uh, profiting at the same time. Um, so, so that's that's kind of the current deal, and and so that's it's it's not the best deal for current filmmakers. I think that right now the the distributor deals tend to favor the distributors um, because that's <laughs> yeah. the cost of staying in business, uh, and and so many distributors go down every year because even with that they can't stay afloat. Um, but I, I think that you know it's it it is it is a a deal that I was very happy with in the end, and I'm glad that we we had help from uh, uh, Circus Road, um, uh, oh yeah, producer producer rep, which was funny because I I had gone into this whole thing being like oh producer rep you know never in a million years, but but Glenn's Glenn's a great guy and they they do good work and we needed we really did need a, uh, a legal. Uh, uh, purview going, you know, I, I wanted someone on our side who, you know, if something did go wrong, could could come in and say, okay, you you do need to pursue legal action about this or something like that. So so it's sort of a protection right. having having Circus Road involved. And but yeah, so that's that's a very bird's eye view of of the deal. I, feel free to ask me anything specific, uh, and, and and I'll do my best to answer. Well, I mean, did you get an MG of any kind, or is it just uh, the percentage on the on the back end? Just the percentage. I I, I think that uh, it, it's it's safe to say that that there what we're not dealing with one right now. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, MGs. I'm hearing from some people. I hear they happen. From some other people, I hear they're very rare these days. Um, but I like to believe they still happen. 
for I'm, certain it's, films. <laughs> it's it's such it, it's so much the banker in Deal or No Deal. It's it's so much. Right. <laughs> we're gonna get you know we we pretty much know how much you made this for, and we're gonna give you just a little over half of it. And uh, right. at least that's that's what I've heard about him. And and so just knowing that going into it, it wasn't something I was super interested in. And especially since none of the distributors were really itching to to give us one. Um, I, I, I didn't I didn't want to give them an out when it came time to for us to actually profit and have them say, oh, well, we gave you all this at the beginning and we're still working on, you know, on that loan that, right. that we gave. Right. You know, it's like it's it's just crystal clear this way instead. So uh, the other question I have about the distribution is like your website, your beautiful trailer, your poster. Mm -hmm. Is that stuff that Vertical Entertainment put together for you or is that stuff that you did on your own and you provide to them? They did. And, and, and they, they did a great job with those. And I, I think the caveat there is that we we really tried to give them as much to work with as possible. I, I don't think that, you know, with with uh, with the deal that we had, I, I don't think that they would have wanted to go and do a trailer from scratch. I don't think they would have wanted to go and do a poster from scratch. And so we, we really tried to do as much work as we could. And then they did a great job taking us the extra mile and sort of bringing in talent that, that we didn't have access to to really, uh, you know, wrap things up and really make things, uh, you know, as as good as they are, I, I really, I, you know, thank you. I I, I love I love the the marketing materials that they put together for us. Nice, awesome. All right. So, well, my questions are about like, what's next? You've been talking about you know making films for double that budget or slightly more than double that budget. Um, is your goal to stay in the independent realm and and keep making things that are coming you know from your heart? from the back of your mind or are you looking to like go get into the world of more mainstream stuff or like where's your heart i i actually really like the mainstream stuff a ton um i you know of of of, of all the 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 people that i think i i went to school with and know in in, in the world i i feel like if if you if you ask them whether whether they would rather you know win sundance or uh or you know, get to direct a movie for a, for a mini major, um, assuming they made the same amount of money from both of them. I think most would, would choose to, to win Sundance. Um, but I actually would much rather, I would love to be in, in the studio system or, or in the, in the, the, uh, art, the mini major system. And, um, but, but that's not to say that, that those two are, are self-exclusive. It's not to say that, that I have to choose one or the other. I think I'd love to continue to do, to do both. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I, I really have no problem selling out <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I, and what I love about selling out is that decisions, especially the studio system are made based on the numbers of audience members that are going to sit in the seats. And I, I think that there's something that is a little misguided about that. And I think that they do mess it up, uh, you know, almost half the time. Um, but, but I think that I, I've, I, I saw, I've seen so many movies where I feel like the filmmakers weren't thinking about, you know, the audience when they made the movies. And I think that that's something that, that wherever, whatever I do next, that's what I'd like to get back to. Nice. Um, I have a few questions. So one thing that we didn't really talk about yet is where are you based? Are you in LA after you graduated USC or did you move back to Texas? Yeah. Based in LA. Nice. Um, second question: What do you do uh, for a living? Like, what is your day? Do you have a day job? Do you, you know, make f videos? Like, what is your, you know, how do you, you know, keep the lights on? It's it's been pretty 
piecemeal ever since graduating. It's it's been a lot of freelancing for the most part. Um, nice. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, and then the the last question is, um, you know, do you feel like after making this movie that you're in a better position to get your next film funded? Or is it like a little too early to tell at this point to see if it really is going to make that big difference in getting your, your next film made? Well, that was, that was really the goal with, with all this was, you know, after doing this movie, like, like I, I want a second feature, you know, and I think that, that so many, so many films are the first and only, uh, especially when, you know, the, the filmmakers get exhausted and just, just can't even think about picking up, you know, a camera again after doing, you know, doing it. And this whole time I've almost been, you know, I've almost been running this marathon, you know, thinking that I'm doing an, an Ironman, you know, and it's like, all right, I, I crossed the finish line on Friday when this came out in theaters and, and, um, now I got to jump in, jump in the water and swim for three miles. Uh, you know, and that's, that's almost the, <laughs> nice. the, the second feature. So that's, it, it, it has in a sense where our biggest challenge the first time around, one of our biggest challenges the first time around, even when we had the money, even when we had the script was that people said, okay, well, what's your, what's your prior work? Who have you worked with? And I think that now no one will have to ask that anymore. Cause we can say, oh, you can call up, you know, call up Brad. He'll tell you, he, he likes us. He's on the, he's on our next movie. He's great. Let's do it. You know, nice. it's having that prior work. And do you have a, a project lined up for your second feature or is it sort of like you're still trying to find that second thing? I, I do. I, I think that I, I, if if nothing bigger comes along, if, if I don't, you know, sign with a manager soon and which which I'm looking to do, I'm definitely I'm looking for that representation. I, I'd love to start, you know, sending spec scripts to get rejected every week. I'd, I'd love to, to jump into that. <laughs> um, right. that's, exactly. That's my dream, honestly. Uh but but if that if that doesn't take off immediately, I'm, I'm going to start developing my next thing in the pro, in, in in the process. And the next thing, I, I think that you know my goal with this was what what will definitely you know what what will has the best chance of making an ROI at the 100k budget level. My next thing is going to be what has the best chance of making ROI at the you know the 300 the 400k. And I wow. think I think I'm going to go biblical with it. Oh, interesting. Uh, I think I'm going to try to bring. Uh, yeah. Wait, are you going to do a, a religious movie? <laughs> yes, I think I think nice. that is the next thing. I think I want to do something sort of like there was a movie recently called Young Messiah. Um, oh yeah, where they kind of did like trailer. you know Young Jesus. Yeah, and it was they 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 they, they sent that around pretty heavily. I I think that there's a there's a version of that movie. Um, not, not that I am copying them or you know plagiarizing in in any way, but but it sort of you know prompted me. I think there's a version of that movie that won't uh, turn off people who aren't Christians. That aren't that won't turn off people right. that, that aren't you know practical. I, I I think there's you know I I I've always loved uh, um, what's uh, I'm blanking on the director. I'm blanking on the movie. I'm I'm blanking on all of it. But that's okay. You can think one. I'll just jump in and say like there is definitely a proven track record for faith based yeah. films making their making their money back so that's i mean certainly a wise direction to go in terms of scaling up your budget and i think there's a lot of people who want to fund faith-based movies too you know um it seems to be a huge community out there of of uh, you know those kinds of you know investors or potential investors and those kinds of filmmakers which you know is not my world at all and where i want to be but uh you know i think that's really cool and exciting, you know, and I think like doing a faith-based movie that kind of pushes the boundaries would be exciting. 
if that's what you want to do. Yeah, and, and again, I, I think that, like, Last Whistle is rated PG. And I think, I, I, I always thought the movie was going to be PG-13. And so whenever the MPAA gave us PG, um, I was like, oh, interesting. Like, like this, <laughs> this is sort of a golden ticket. If, if, you can, if you can make PG happen with everything that I feel like we got away with in this movie, um, you know, or, or just the way maybe I told the story to them feels it was like it was soft or I don't know what it, maybe it's me. Uh, that's, that's kind of where I realized, you know what, maybe, maybe you, as long as you can get that PG, you, you can, you can do some, some pretty exciting stuff and in a way that will, the audience will not walk out of the theater when you do it. Here's a question for you. So you're saying that your plan is to now do, you know, like a, you know, whatever, $200,000, $300,000 movie and get the ROI on that budget level. But why don't you just make another $100,000 movie or even try to go lower and be more scrappy, you know, and do like – you mentioned Alex Ferrari, but there's another guy, Gnome, Gnome Kroll. Gnome Kroll. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He does like the Oh, I, I keep up feature. with all you all you people. Okay, Trust me. Yeah. I, I, okay. <laughs> Much shout out to the, to the you know, uh, filmmaking podcast. Oh, my gosh. So helpful. So helpful to indie filmmakers. <laughs> so helpful. But yeah, but I mean, that's sort of been my thought process is like, you know, I'm going to go out and make this movie, um, you know, the alternate, this project I've had forever and ever and ever. But I don't want to be a one hit wonder feature filmmaker either. You know, there's we all know so many of those out there. Like, I want to be ready to make my next film, you know, within the next year or so from when my first one comes out. But I've been thinking the other way, like, rather than trying to go bigger, like, how can I go really scrappy and just make, like, a horror movie for, like, under $100,000, you know, or less, even. Um, but You just you yeah. just made every, like, muscle in my body seize up and be super <laughs> tense, Ulrich, when you say that. I'm just like, oh, God. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. the idea of being anything below that budget for feature. That's so funny. <laughs> but, I mean, I guess the question, Rob, is, like, would you do that? If if you were given the opportunity or if you had to, like, would you go either the same budget or lower on your next feature? I, I think the magic of, of a first feature is that people are, are super willing to, to do favors for you. It is very much like crowdfunding where your first crowdfunding, if you do a second crowdfunding uh, session, uh, it's not it, it's it's going to hit like 35 percent of whatever the first one did. <laughs> right. You know, people are people are going to go to bat for you, but not if they feel like they have to do it twice. Right. And, and I, and I, I, I understand that I'm the same way. And, and so I think that so many people went to bat for us in this movie that, you know, there's not another hundred thousand dollar movie because I, I need to, you know, this next time around, I, I need to pay everybody that's, that's doing any sort of, <laughs> right. of favor for us at the, you know, there was, there will always be favors. Um, but, but I, I don't, want to leave anyone with any less than than a living wage after this one and that's amen to that really where the money goes yeah i know liz is really passionate about that as well it's huge so So important to me to pay people it's it's just it's there's just such a disappearing middle class in in indie filmmaking especially and and the studios too and and it's if if we lose that then you know it's 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 terrible i'll help you fund your movie all right so you can really? pay everyone. I'm not kidding. I will. Yeah, please. Let's talk after. <laughs> I'll nice. <figure> it out. <laughs> I'm like, I just want everybody to, you know, yeah. Well, definitely paying everybody. But I'm just thinking, like, I'm more thinking about, like, smaller crews and, uh, yeah. you know. So it's interesting that you mentioned, like, a 10,000 horror movie. Because I think it's worth mentioning, like, the the hard part when I think about that is 
number one, there are so many, so many of those now, you know, that, you know, only three or four <laughs> right. years ago, that would have been like, okay, yeah, that'll, that'll do fine. Um, but, but now it's, it's now maybe like one of the, one of the most brilliant things I think uh, to this day is, is still that Sriracha documentary, you know, or, oh, yeah. or the, the, I forget his name, but the guy that's doing like the Hitchcock shower scene and, you know, like the, the documentary is based on like peop, things that people like. Um, yeah, you know, go, go do that for $10,000. Don't, don't do, don't do a horror movie. Um, right. Because they're just, right. it's, it's, it's not different and it doesn't have an audience that, that is, that is, you know, waiting to be surprised. Well, there's lots of horror. There's a huge audience for horror. Films there is, out there, but, but, but there are so many films in that space right now that it's, it, it's very diluted. If that right, makes sense. Right. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, well, yes. oh wait, I forgot one other thing when you, uh, I am thinking, I'm thinking about you said, okay, so 10 K when it comes down to, um, like self distribute, which you would have to self distribute with something like oh, that. Right. Oh yeah. And, and I'm trying to think about all of the minimum costs when it comes to like, you know, insurance, when it comes to mastering, when it comes to sound mixing and, you know, even if you were able to, to film it for $0, I, I don't think that, that unless you had someone that was awesome with trailers and key art which which you probably do and 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 lots of people do if if, even if you have that i think when it comes down to some of the the like the line items um i I, i'm not sure that even a movie that costs zero dollars can be self-distributed for ten thousand right well i mean i don't know i'm not talking about like self-distributing it for you know whatever the twelve thousand or whatever within that but just getting it in the can for something under 50 you know um yeah i don't know i mean but that 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 gnome crawl episode he has where he breaks down um a feature under like i think it's a 12 day shoot or something mm-hmm. making it all for twelve thousand dollars with a five person crew or something yeah that's it's pretty amazing one. and like everyone gets paid everyone gets fed it's like it's a really kind of amazing breakdown i don't think i could necessarily do that um but i'm just thinking like in that realm of like yeah well if you can make a movie for twelve thousand dollars like you definitely make a movie for fifty thousand dollars you know um but anyways all hypothetical at this point um liz you have a final question for rob before we let him go well i'm just like really looking forward to finally seeing the film and then uh chatting at some point afterwards because the film i'm making is potentially quite contradictory in terms of uh there's a i'm assuming there's a a faith-based element to this one as well and my my sci-fi is like very uh based in <laughs> in it's an homage to like atheism oh, <laughs> and, well, uh, I mean, and the even the pope says he prefers an ardent atheist to a lukewarm uh catholic so well, I, oh, that's funny what i loved about I it was such that, a good quote yeah, because it's like it, all all roads lead to Mecca, even even the atheist one. I think in terms of um, <laughs> sort of seeing the message within your film and looking at the message within mine and being like, oh yeah, like <laughs> we're actually still actually still traveling in the same direction regardless. And I I always appreciate that um, when when looking at at differing philosophies. So yeah, absolutely. Similarly. Absolutely, we're we're all we're all the same in the end. Yeah, so I'm I'm excited to talk about it when when both are out in the world. Mm-hmm. You've you've beat me nice. by by quite a bit. Uh, so <laughs> you'll have to <laughs> <Me> wait. <too. laughs> 
Um, all right. Well, thanks again, Rob, for being on the show. Uh, where can people find your work and The Last Whistle? I tried to find your website, but it keeps on taking me to The Last Whistle. So. Yeah, I've, I've got my, my website's redirecting to the to the movie website right now just because I, nice. I need to do a redo on that. So uh, you can find all things Last Whistle at lastwhistlemovie.com. Um, the Last Whistle is on iTunes. Everybody, please check us out on iTunes. Um, that's where we're really trying to drive traffic this weekend, this this coming week. Um, it's, it's so, so important because if we can, if we can just get it higher on the charts, if everybody can, I mean, even just rent it, that, that goes such a long way for us. We've, you know, as as we record this, I'm, I'm trying to hustle on pre-orders, but they're hard because, you know, that's sort of the Kickstarter is the pre-orders and there's a whole algorithm behind that. But now that we're out, please, please, uh, check out the film, please. You know, I promise that if you're, um, whether you're atheist or, uh, you know, um, or Christian or you like sports ball, you don't like sports ball, there's, I really tried to put something for everybody in this movie and nothing, nothing gets too heavy handed at any point. Um, so uh, my, my Twitter handle, Instagram handle is Mad Smatter. Uh, it's a play on the nice. Mad Hatter, of course. Um, and uh, that's because my birthday is October 6th, which is the Mad Mad Hatter Day. So, and my last name is ah. Matt. So, Mad Smatter is is what the my has been my tag for for years and years. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, just you know, I, I, I'm I'm around LA. I, I'll probably be um, you know uh, bringing uh, baskets and muffins to manager manager offices, which which I think <laughs> is how you get a manager. Nice. I think that's how you do it. Yeah, totally. It's all that based on your muffin me. game. <laughs> Right, yeah. <laughs> Baker's doesn't, of course, because I, I I like muffins. Uh, yeah, you're anyway. you're a muffin basket and a copy of your Blu-ray for the yeah, last whistle. That's it. There that's you it. go. So, yeah. and then if if you're in uh, uh, Riverside, Brooklyn, uh, Dallas, uh, Minneapolis, Kansas City, Chicago, Seattle, um, check out our movie in theaters. Uh, we're we're gonna try to make sure that the the screening times are during a good time of the day. And and shoot me an email if you go and send me a picture. Yeah, uh, it's it's awesome because this is Monday, right? It right is. after the mm-hmm. movie came out, so the this, the film will be in in theaters for at least four more days. That's correct. So everyone in those areas, go see this movie. Send Rob a photo, and then you should also like send it to Making Movies is Hard too, because I'd love to see oh, these. Yeah, we're, so really the, this movie is debuting in that like alleyway, that Prius sized alleyway. Uh, between <laughs> the two skyscrapers that are Toy Story 4 and Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, amazing. Nice. And we yeah, have got our great. own little dumpster right in between those two. And nice. I, I did the math. If everybody goes and sees the movie, I think 392 times, we can beat Toy Story. Because, oh, yeah. Because they had a lower, yeah. you know, lower than expected opening. So I think we got a shot at it. Oh, yeah, there you go. All right. Um, Let's go for it. <laughs> you only got three days. Well, you got to send us one in San Francisco, so I reckon I can count. Yes, yes. Yeah. So uh, after you go see uh, The Last Whistle in theaters, if you're in those towns or if you get it on iTunes, you should go check out our website at makingmoviesishard.com where you can find the links to the things we talked about on this episode, including uh, Rob's old short films, hopefully, if I can find them, the trailer for The Last Whistle, and lots of other good stuff. Uh, If you want, you can get in contact with us. you can send us an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at MMIH Podcast. And I'm Ulrich B on Twitter and Instagram. And Liz, you I are... I am at Shangri Liz in most places. Nice. Most places, Most people. places. So probably Twitter, probably Instagram. Definitely uh, those some ones. Other places. Maybe some other places. You just, you know... You just have to Explore. type it into the social network of your choosing and see if it pops up. Yeah. <laughs>
Uh, and please, if you like the show, tell a friend. Help us get the word out. You can leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And, yeah, thanks to Rob and Liz for a great show. Awesome work, guys. Thanks to you guys. <laughs> All right. Talk to you guys next week. See ya. Bye.